Good morning, church. How are you? Good, 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 good. Great to see you. This is the last Sunday of our Grow series, and next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, we're getting there. It's coming. How many of you have started your Christmas shopping? Started. How many of you have it finished? How many of you don't know which month this is? You just, you just, you're just doing good to be here. All right, yeah, I get it, I get it. Um, we're super excited about our Christmas series that starts next week. And uh, here's the graphic. We're putting it up on the screen. The weary world rejoices. And I don't know about you, but I'm weary. You're probably weary. It's been a long couple of years. And, uh, you know, COVID is one thing. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of reasons why, why we're weary. There's a lot going on in our lives. But God has sent us the hope of the world, and we are going to rejoice. So the weary church rejoices, the weary cross point rejoices starting next week. We're looking forward to it. And uh, I know for some people, Christmas is, is a tough season. Some people dread it for a lot of reasons, and we get that, we understand that, but we're going to uh, rejoice and celebrate that uh, God has sent the light, his son Jesus, into our darkness, and so we can't wait. Yeah, we are. So this series called Grow has been good for me, and it feels like it's been a, a grow season for me, and it feels like it's been good for the church. As pastor, I feel like uh, kind of took, we, we all kind of took like a growth spurt in this season, and, and I've enjoyed it. I've been challenged myself. I've been convicted to think about how am I growing? Uh, how am I not growing? What are the areas in my life where I need to grow? How can I be more like Jesus? How can I continue to grow? And um, we started the series like, you know, way out here with, with just laying the groundwork for the need for spiritual growth. And then every week we've been kind of bringing it in and getting a little more intense and a little more focused each week. And we're going to crank up the intensity again today, but it's a good pain. You're going to like it. All right. All right. Do you have a bucket list? A bucket list are uh, things that you would like to do before you kick the... Before, that's your bucket list, right? So before I kick the bucket, whatever that means, you know, spill the milk or die, croak, you know, <laughs> real, all those sensitive words. Um, you know, what's in, what's in the bucket that I would like to do before I die? And I was thinking about this and, you know, what would be in my bucket list? Realized I didn't really have one. If, if I did... Uh, they'd be pretty selfish, shallow things, places I'd like to visit, um, cars I'd like to own, you know, they just material type things that were pretty shallow. Sometimes a bucket list is like a long-term dream, you know, something that's been on your heart for a long time. You're like, Lord, you know, God willing, this is something I'd like to do. Um, sometimes uh, a bucket list is the stuff that you would do if you found out that you have six months to live or six weeks, or six days, or six hours? What would you do if you knew, you know, the next six hours were your last? And in John chapter 13, Jesus is down to his last few hours before uh, his death on our cross, and he knows that his time has come, and he's had an eternity, literally, 
in eternity to think about how he wants to spend his last few hours before the cross. Now, if I had a few hours to die before, you know, a few hours to live, I'd probably be sitting uh, at the beach in Sarasota, uh, drinking a really good coffee, sitting in a Porsche 911 with, with, with two car guys, with Gayla beside me. Uh, I don't know. He's, how, would you, how would you like to go? But in the hours before his death, Jesus is on his hands and knees with a towel and a basin of water, and he's cleaning the dirt-caked feet of his closest friends. Your willingness to serve at the lowest level reveals your depth of growth. We'll know, you'll know you are growing. One of the ways you'll know that you're growing is by your willingness to serve at the very lowest level. So it's John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And no, Peter protests, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter said, well, go ahead then. Wash my hands and my head. Well, you know, not just my feet. If it's going to be, if that's what the deal is. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. The plot thickens. And they're all looking around the room. You know, who is it? For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing. Now that you know, do it. Do these things. I don't know if you've ever had the honor of staying beside someone um, at, at their bedside until they took their last breath. Um, as pastor, 
you, it's not uncommon to get called into a situa situation like that and be sitting with the family while their loved one takes their last breath. And John says that Jesus was staying with the disciples right until the very end, even though they're not all going to stay with him until the very end. He's going to stay with them until the very end. Judas, the betrayer, is there. He's in the room, and he's already decided to sell out on Jesus for a bag of, of coins. Peter, the, deni the denier, Peter's going to deny that he ever knew Jesus. Peter's there, and none of them, none of the disciples, even those who will, who will stick with him to the cross, none of them expected a resurrection. When Jesus is dead and in the grave, they're behind a locked door trying to figure out what do we do now that the master is dead. They were not expecting a resurrection. And so when John says that he loved them to the very end, it could mean time. In other words, like right up to the last minute. But it also could mean that he loved them to the uttermost. That God loved them with everything that he could possibly love them with. The resurrection is the ultimate display of victory. The cross is the ultimate display of love. And washing the disciples' feet is the ultimate display of, of service and humility. The symbolism of God on his hands and knees getting into those dirty places where we, like Peter, would, would kind of cringe and say, oh, Lord. Oh, God, are you going there? Like, really? Like, no, Lord, no. And we have those places in our lives where we'd rather God not go. Yes, I do. And man, that could be happening right now. And God says, let's, let's clean that. And you're like, oh, <laughs> really? Seriously? Like, can we not just... Ignore that or hide that or pretend that that's not there. The, the symbolism of God getting into those places that we would rather keep to ourselves, of God loving us and cleansing us at our deeper, deepest level, this is the lasting image that God wanted his disciples to have right before the cross. And God presses this image of, of him with a towel in a basin washing our feet. He presses this into their hearts and it forever changed them. And it was woven deeply into the fabric and the culture of the early church. When these guys come out after the resurrection and after the, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit coming in the books, book of Acts and the, the early church starts to take shape, these guys have this this serving, this, this serving others deeply pressed into their hearts, and it literally, literally changed the world. Now, Jesus was fully man and fully God, okay? This, we believe, this is solid theology that we believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. As fully man, he experienced all of our emotions, all of our pain. He's familiar with what you're dealing with. He, he's been there. He knows what you're going through. So that being true, we cannot underestimate the impact of Judas's betrayal on Jesus. Jesus is under the weight, knowing that one of his best friends is going to betray him. 
Another one is going to deny that he even knows him. And the rest of the crowd is going to go hide behind a locked door because they, they, they just don't get it. And Jesus is under the weight. And taking the weight of our sin to the cross, he's under the weight of that as well. What if, um, just think for a moment, what if you had to carry the weight of the sin of the person sitting to your right? Just think about it now. You've got to carry your sin, and now you've got to take all the sin of the person who's sitting to your right. Now you've got to take on all the sin of the person sitting to your left. Go ahead and look around and, and, you know, go ahead. Who's there? Now the person in front of you. Now the person behind you. What if you had to carry the weight of the sin of every person in this room? And you think it would be crushing. And here's Jesus hours before the cross, and he's carrying the weight of the world. The weight of the sin of every person who will ever live. And he's got the, be, he's got the betrayer there. And he's got denied, everything is in the room. So we cannot underestimate the, the weight of this on Christ. One of his closest friends, an insider, Judas, someone who Jesus had chosen Judas and invited him in to the inner circle to be one of the 12. Jesus had poured so much into this man's life. Imagine like Judas had a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus, to the miracles of Jesus. Can you picture these guys sitting around a fire or something at the end of the, the, the evening saying, what a day. Can you, can you believe what we did? Could you remember the miracles and how he healed this person and he fed those guys? And like just every night it would have been a trip. It would have been like, this is ridiculous. And Judas had a front row seat to who Jesus is. And yet he saw he sold out for a bag of coins. And you think, okay, Judas, how could you do that? And yet we do that all the time. Good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. There have been times in your life where you've wanted something that was outside of God's will for you, and you said to the Holy Spirit, pause, time out, I'll be right back. And you went and took that bag of coins, whatever that was, and then you, you know, so... Don't be too hard on, Ju on Judas. And yes, the events are unfolding as, as they were supposed to unfold. We know that. And um, it had to go this way. It was unfolding towards the cross and our salvation. But in these moments, Jesus is bearing the weight of it all. Betrayal and denial and our sin. And so there's so much more going on in the room than just the foot washing. God is teaching us how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with betrayal, how to deal with, with denial, um, how to serve your enemies. God is teaching us in John chapter 13 how to love people who are hard to love, people who you would rather avoid, people who you're thinking of right now and you're thinking, I don't think so. No, 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 no. There'll be none of that. And Jesus says, yeah. Take the place of a servant. Get down on your hands and knees. Love the people who let you down. Lower yourself. Empty your pride. Just show the world a ridiculous, supernatural love. This kind of love in serving others has the power to change the world.
has the power to change you, has the power to rebuild broken relationships, to heal. It has the power for forgiveness. It has the power to literally change. We can't underestimate the power of this. Now, I'm writing this sermon, and uh, I hit this point of the sermon, and I start thinking about um, how I've been betrayed by people who I trusted. And, and I have a wound. My deepest wound in my life is being betrayed by others, by, by people who I trusted. And I'm thinking, what does it look like for me to take off my robe, get a towel and some water, get down on my hands and knees, and wash their feet? And nothing in me wants to, wants to do that. It's not natural. I don't want to do it. And yet God is healing me, and God is inviting me and drawing me closer. Um, I mean, I wish the text said, and, and in that moment, Jesus exposed Judas as a fraud and humiliated him in front of his peers. You know, he's God. Jesus could have turned him into dust. But it doesn't say that. When I read a text like this, I'm struck again with the beauty of Jesus. And I'm compelled to love my enemies like he did. You see, not every ladder we climb goes up, does it? Some of the ladders we need to climb are descending to take the place of a servant, to be humble. Now, Judas was on a mission to bring God down. It's such irony and paradox in this text because, I mean, God had already brought Jesus down to us in the form of a, a baby born in an animal stall, a feed trough probably. And God is lifting Jesus up on the cross, but before Jesus is, is elevated, lifted up on the cross, he, kneel, he willingly kneels down at our feet. And then he lays his life down for our sins. The, the way that John writes this, of course, John is writing much after the resurrection, long time after the fact. He's reflecting back. And the way that John writes this is he wants us to see this, this um, ascending to the cross. Like it's all God's, God's providential redemption plan. Is, it's coming. It's coming. Jesus is ascending, to, but he's also descending. Both things are happening at the same time. The cross is the crescendo of all of history. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, the cross of Jesus Christ is the turning point of all of history. It is on your calendar. Between B.C. and A.D., the cross of Jesus is the turning point in all of history, and it's the hinge point of our faith. In verse 1, John mentioned the Passover, not because we needed to know, you know what, what, what the holiday was, but to remind us that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and it's only by his blood, his sacrifice, that our sins can be washed away. Jesus knew the cross was very near. There's an eternal awareness within Christ that 
God's promise to Abraham centuries ago of healing and restoration, this was all about to be accomplished. And the disciples didn't know it in the moment. They, they just simply did. You don't know what you don't know until you know, and they didn't know. They didn't know it in the moment. But boy, after the fact, they could look back and say, wow. Hours before the cross, God took off his robe, put a towel around his waist, got a bowl of water, and he washed our feet. Wow. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Maybe this is our reminder that Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have called 10,000 angels and it all could have been over right there. He could have rebuked Judas. He could have humiliated Judas. He could have turned him into a frog, whatever. But instead, he chose to serve him. We've talked about this before. When, uh, what do you do when, when you want to get revenge? What do you do when you, um, when you have someone on the hook? And I know what I do. I want, I want to hold them there and watch them suffer, right? I, I, I just want to hold them there. And, and you feel some pain for a while when you know that you have someone on the hook. And Jesus has Judas on the hook. And I think he's God. I mean, John points this out clearly in verse 3. Jesus knows who he is, and he knows what kind of power he has. He's God. If he can turn water into wine, surely when he got to the feet of Jesus, he could have turned water into bleach or something else, like something painful, like boiling water or something. I don't know. He's God. I would have filled Judas's cloak full of fire ants and watch him squirm. Like, you're God, you can do anything. But he doesn't. He washes his feet. Verse 4 and 5. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them, around him. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude. Same in the original Greek means same. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I think Paul was reflecting on the, on, on the foot washing. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He, he took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. And therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all of the names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And in other words, the, the tone there is, Lord, I don't think so. Lord, you, you are not washing 
my feet. Some people are never speechless. You know people like that? They're just, they're just never speechless. Did you know that you can, have an, you can have an opinion and not share it with anyone? Did you know that? You can have an opinion and it could be all. It's just for you. It's just for yourself. You don't need to post it on Facebook. You don't need to get a certain number of likes. You can just, you can just have an opinion and say, I, wow, I, that's a great opinion. I'm, I'm going to eat it. I'm, I'm just going to swallow it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to share it with anyone. But, but Peter, he can't resist. And he's, he's got an opinion. And he says, Lord, I don't think so. See, Peter resists what God is doing for him and in him because he does not see it. He doesn't understand what God is up to. How many times have I done that? And I thought, Lord, I, don't, I, don't, I can't see it. I don't understand it. We might miss out on what God wants to do because, because he's doing something new or different. We don't understand it. Jesus has stepped outside of Peter's understanding of who God is. In Peter's shallow mind, Peter's thinking, God does not wash feet. And so Jesus is outside of that. And um, when Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. It's, I think that's where the light goes on in Peter's mind. Because when Jesus says, unless I wash you, he's not talking about getting the camel hooey out between your toes. Right? It's about the filth in our hearts. When Jesus says, unless I wash you, and I think Peter's like, oh, yeah, right. It's the filth in our hearts that will kill us unless we allow Jesus, the Passover lamb, to power wash our souls with his grace. So there's this dual meaning that Jesus is teaching them in this, in this lesson, that you have to be washed by God, Peter. You have to be washed by God. And you have to serve others with the same level of humility. Jesus says, now that you've seen me do this for you, you have to go and do this for others. You have to be washed by God. And you have to serve others with the same level of humility. Why would I do this? Because people who have experienced grace, people whose souls have been washed and cleansed by God, people who are aware of how much God has forgiven them and how much God loves them, then, then out of that overflow of thank, thanksgiving, thankfulness, you just, you just want to serve God and you just want to serve others. Be saved people serve people. Back that up. Say it again. Saved people serve people. And Jesus connects these things in the hours before his death. And this is the stuff that fueled the early church this is one of the reasons why the church uh, survived and it could not be snuffed out and it could not be burnt out or persecuted out of existence because the people of God, these, the very first churches, they just kept serving others even if they were nailed to a cross upside down or burned at the stake or no, no matter what kind of persecution, they just kept loving their enemies and loving others and serving others. 
It was the church that started hospitals. It was the church that started orphanages. It was the church who loved the lepers and the blind and the lame and the widows in times of plague, in times of hunger, in times of tragedy. It was the church who came running in to to get down on their hands and knees and serve people and love people. And I'm writing this message, and the, the recurring phrase that just kept coming back to me was this week, this week was, we have to recapture, do I have everyone's attention? I want to make sure we get this this morning. We, Crosspoint, we have to recapture a culture of serving at Crosspoint. Pierre and I, we were praying about this before service, and we were saying, we, the problem at Crosspoint should be that too many people want to serve for everything. Like that should be the problem. Like that if you, that if you want to clean a toilet around here, you're on like a three-year waiting list. Right? That if you want to serve in the nursery or you want to, you want to like anything that you want to do, that there, we'd be like, wow, okay. Well, we're a little full in that area, but we, you know, we might be able to fit you in down the road because... Because the people of God would just want to be, be serving out of the, the overflow in their heart of what Christ has done for them. We have to recapture a culture of serving at Crosspoint. We have, this church is blessed. This church is blessed, right? We're, we really are. We've got so much to be thankful for. And we've got, we have incredible staff. I Truly, on, hand on the Bible, right? Like, that's not just how you're supposed to say that because you're the pastor. We have, we have incredible staff. We have big dreams. We have so many needs and opportunities for ministry. And we have to, I say we have to. Let me, let me rephrase this. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And reignite a passion to serve others. And in this moment right now, in this moment right now, you should picture Jesus on his hands and knees, washing your feet, and hear him say, as he does at the end of this text that we read, do, now go and do likewise. Do unto others as I have done for you. Now, when you hear the pastor talk about serving in the church. I know you're thinking, oh, here we go. We've got to sign up. What are we going to sign up for today? And you always think, well, this is, the church just wants more from me. And I hope you hear this this morning, that this is what we want for you. It's what we want for you. It would be, it would be irresponsible for me or the church for Crosspoint to not invite you to be a part of, of kingdom work. This is what you're you're called to do, you're supposed to do. If, if, if we just didn't give you opportunity, it would be ministerial malpractice. It would have been odd if Jesus said, um, you don't need to do it, you don't need to do this. Wouldn't that have been strange? If Jesus said, I, I, I know I just gave you an example of it, but, but this, listen, you, you get a pass on this one. You don't really have to go and serve others. That'd be weird. It's not, what he's, it's not what he said. He explained to them that if the God of the universe can get down on his hands and knees and pick the camel hooey 
out of the tight places of your toes, then you and I, we are not too good to serve anyone in any way at any time. Now, I was thinking of some of the recent serves around Crosspoint. This is just from this, this fall. Uh, we went out and, and raked leaves just for people for no, for no good reason. Well, for lots of good reason, but you know what I mean. Just showed up. Who are these crazy people on my lawn that are raking my leaves? Uh, we did trunk or treat. Uh, Kenzie announced last week that we're doing Christmas gifts for uh, children who are connected to Greener Village, the food bank. Uh, we're doing kettles for the Salvation Army. Uh, we're doing um, the stockings for homeless people around the city. Uh, there was a group of people that went out to Pastor Ashley's home yesterday. Single mom, getting her life restarted. She's got her own place. She needs help. And people went and wore the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. A beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Um, We've got our seniors group has been caring for shut-ins. A couple of young families, either in our church or very tightly connected to our church, who have uh, children with health issues that have been in the IWK. And and we've been reaching out to them and supporting them and helping them on your behalf. Uh, Many of you, Many of you are serving in weekly ministries around here. Many of you do acts of caring and service that, that we don't know about. You, you, just, you just do it. So I'm not saying that we don't care or we don't serve. I just don't want anyone uh, missing out on, on this opportunity of God's calling, God's blessing. This is, this is as Christians, as followers of Jesus, this is what we are uh, to, be, to be doing. Now, I've asked questions like this before, and I, what would happen this morning? Well, here we go again. What would happen this morning if 10 people in this service right now decided I, I've not been serving, and boy, God is speaking to me right now, and I'm going I'm to start to serve? What would happen if 50 of us did that? What would happen if all of us did that? What would happen if Christians everywhere just started to serve God in any way? It would change the world. It would change the world. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again this morning for for who you are, um, for how you love us, for your patience with us, for the example that you've set, for the the way you invite us to be a part of your your plan. You didn't have to do that. You don't have to use us, but you want to. You invite us. God, I pray that you would forgive us for um, ways that we have maybe ignored opportunity to serve others, times when we've been selfish instead of selfless, Um, times like me when we've harbored resentment in our hearts and bitterness towards others. And you give us this example of how you loved Judas and Peter. And um, you invite us to drop our stones, our grudges, and get down on our hands and feet and hands and knees and serve when it's difficult. 
So Lord, in the next few moments of this service, I pray again that you will have your way, that all you would find in this room would be hearts of obedience and surrender, just just people who want um, to be more like you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.